We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute minimal that it's possible uh, in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. You know, that land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the darkened hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this inaugural episode of The Darkened Hour. My name is Richard Cox. I'm here with Adam Fitzgerald. Good evening, Adam. Good evening, Richard. Pleasure. Okay, so in this, um, we've got all sorts of interviews lined up. We've done some already, and uh, I think we've got some really ones that certainly excite me coming up. But we thought it would be good to do an initial episode where we just lay out who we are, where we're coming from, and why it is we're doing this, uh, why we felt that the, the crowded marketplace of podcasts needed yet another one, that needed the world needed to hear our voices and input into these things. So that's what we'll, we'll address here. So um, the podcast itself is centered around 9-11 and the wider history and geopolitical implications of that. So Adam, this has been your major area of interest and study for the past what are we talking 13 years i think you put it at yeah and sure. um and that comes after actually witnessing the events of the day um from where you are in new york you saw i think the second plane go into the building right so um maybe maybe you can start off by talking about that journey for you and what your your what got you into researching it and um and how, you, how you've come to look at the event and, and the wider world through that lens then? Well, I was born and raised in New York. Um, and on September 11, 2001, I was on my rooftop in uh, Queens, New York, and saw the explosion of the, uh, the um, flight 175 into the South Tower. And at the time, um, while it was shocking, it was more in the way of uh, bordering the surreal, and we had no idea about terrorism and international terrorism and sorts of things of this nature. It wasn't until many years later, um, in 2006 and seven, right, early 2006, where I started to delve into the areas of the geopolitical regarding September 11. And what I saw which was very perplexing to me right away on the internet was that a lot of people were talking about the physics regarding how the towers fell. And nobody was really talking about the perpetrators or the intelligence apparatuses uh, that were involved uh, intimately with the attacks. And so I started to study these fields. And the areas I started to study were basically the intelligence apparatuses uh, Middle East affairs, the foreign lobby institutes, 
um, U.S.-Israeli affairs, U.S.-Saudi affairs, um, and religious fundamentalism. It's so, these are large areas to begin with, but I liked reading anyway, um, and I started to read uh, multiple books upon these subjects. And what I found throughout the years was that 9-11 itself wasn't basically just about the day. A lot of people like to think that 9-11 is just about the day or the days into it. It really is a puzzle type effect, and it leads into years and years. And so I wanted to start at a certain time frame, and I started with the, the 1979 Soviet-Afghan War, and I worked my way from there. Because from that position, that period of time, we started seeing the more notable figures starting to arise that were influential in the 9-11 attacks and beyond. And so I started uh, studying these uh, subjects a little bit more thoroughly, and it led me to what I am today. And I, I think the last five years have been more vigorous in my areas of study regarding 9-11. And it has a branch out effect. And I could talk about one subject about 9-11 and talk about religious fundamentalism, when I talk about religious fundamentalism, I have to start understanding the culture of the Middle East. What's uh, the understanding of the Sunni-Shia divide, for example? Um, why is that important? Uh, the Israeli-Saudi connection or the Israeli-Arab uh, connection and how they evolve. And that has a connection to 9-11 attacks as well. And, and when I say about delving into other areas, uh, yes, you have to delve into other areas because it has a correlation with the attacks. And what is the Bajinka plot, the 93 World Trade Center bombing, and so have you and have you. And the things we talked about in our year-long series, um, the Rose 9-11 series, that we touch on these subjects. The podcast itself, I would like to talk about the, the finer details of what we didn't get to in that series. And there's a lot. Sure, um, sure. And that's where I think that I want to touch on in this podcast. And we'll talk about the details regarding the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, the FBI, um, the Israeli Mossad, the Pakistan ISI, and so have you, because that is the most important topic regarding 9-11. It's not about the attacks themselves, but the intelligence apparatuses and the governments regarding those countries. Sure. We, you know, on, on the, um, when we agreed to the series, I thought we'd do about six hours of recording and go from the 1950s to 9-11 and that'll be it. And it just expanded and expanded and expanded as these things do. And eventually we said, okay, yeah, we've got to have a dedicated podcast for this to go really into the, the detail. Cause we've, in answer to my earlier question of uh, why do we feel the need for another podcast? I, I think there is, still a lot of questions that can be productively asked about 9-11 and certainly about the wider geopolitical sphere. Um, just a, a question on what you said there, Adam, in, in describing your entry into studying 9-11. Did you come into it from a particularly conspiratorial angle? Because the way a lot of people get into studying it is, is they'll think like, they'll hear this idea that 9-11 was an inside job and then start to try and prove or disprove that. And um, But the way you describe it, talking about uh, the study of um, fundamentalism and Operation Cyclone in Afghanistan and, and, and so on, um, it doesn't necessarily sound like that. So what, what, 
what was your kind of angle coming into it? Were you drawn to any of the conspiracy theories straight off the bat or? Actually, no. It started with when I started to study theology, especially monotheism, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism in the early 2000 period, I'd say between 2003 to 2005 or six. And I went about it wrong because I was an atheist and I became a rabid anti-theist and I just generalized. And I found out that my worldviews were the reason why, because I was biased against religion. I didn't know anything about, say, theology, real Christian theology. I just lumped all religions together. And I swore that I would never make that mistake in any type of study in the future. And it was because of my study into theology and talk about Islam and Christianity that I started to once again uh, have a, a peak of an interest into the events of 9-11, only because I lived in New York and, you know, I, I lived through the event. But I, I didn't know anything about it, really. I was very ignorant. So that's what led me. But I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't want any type of biases to go forward in my research. So I basically eliminated uh, any type of biased uh, worldview I ever had and regarding like racism, religion, and politics. And I was already an atheist and I wasn't um, much in the way of a voter and I thought all politics were just a failure anyway. Democrat, uh, talk about uh, bipartisan politics anyway, Republican, Democrat. And racism was just something that was uh, easily eliminated in regards to um, social uh, psychology and social construct and the understanding of the individual because racism is just about the degradation of an entire demographic, usually in, in de uh, detrimental um, terms. So that took a while because human constructs are ingrained within us from birth. And it's almost like a natural property, but they're all unnatural. Politics, racism, religion are taught ideologies. They're not natural in any spec. So that led me into 9-11 itself, and it gave me a clean slate. And I looked at 9-11 not through rose-colored glasses, but as a gray area, because there were so many more questions and answers. And it just well, so you, you didn't feel you were backing a particular horse from the get-go? Right, which, which helped right away. Right, okay. Because, that's unusual, I think. I think that's unusual. Well, so, like, well, yeah, I would agree with you, only because if you look at forums today and you look at other people from, say, the truther movement, you'll see many competing ideologies, and they're all persuaded by their worldviews. Hmm. Their hatred for Israel, their hatred for Islam, Islamophobia, or their hatred for the state, the government, the fear, or the, the distrust so to speak. So when they already had that worldview, it, they'll look at evidence or material that caters to their worldview. And luckily for me, I, I just didn't have any type of worldview. I, I looked at everything and just eliminated um, information through a process of uh, careful research and study. Richard, uh, what, what got you uh, interested into the events of September 11, 2001? I'd actually just left school, like in the June, I think. Okay, and um, so that was that was pivotal because in in the last sort of year or so of my school career, my faith in the establishment had been deteriorating. So, so growing up, I always believed that 
the world worked in a good and functional way and politicians were there for you know the betterment of humanity and um, the, the information you were handed in your classes was true and so on and so on. I never had like a, a cynical attitude to things. And that just became really tarnished uh, around when I was like hitting 17, 18. Um, things just kind of like fell apart for me and the world was making less and less sense. It, my belief in the educational system uh, was affected by like teachers who seemingly didn't have any interest in their subjects. And that was quite shocking to me, you know, and um, politically um, the election of George W. Bush had quite an impact, right? Because um, it just seemed so strange to me that in a nation of 300 million people, I was like, gee, what are the chances that the job would go to the son of the guy who did it once be one time before, you know, that, that seems like, like astronomically improbable if we're talking about a democracy where everyone gets together and selects the best man for the job. Right. And, and maybe, okay, maybe it's like sometimes you have professional athletes and their children are really talented athletes, you know? So maybe the Bushes are just like this really politically superior family. And then he saw George and said, Oh no. Right. It's like, you, you can't maintain a sense uh, that the world makes sense when George W. Bush is held up as the leader of the free world. It, it's, it doesn't make sense. Right. So, um, I was having this real conflict of um, losing faith in the establishment to provide truth. Okay. And, and um, I remember one, one pivotal thing was sitting in a history class and realizing that all the information I had on the world came from these books that the teacher would hand out. And I didn't know any deeper than that. I was like, well, these things could be made up, right? And I'm sure they're not, but I wouldn't know. And it troubled me that if someone had said to me, like, how do you know that stuff isn't made up? I would, I wouldn't have an answer for that. Right. And, Upon, upon leaving school, um, I was in a bookstore and I saw a book um, called The Biggest Secret by David Icke, okay? And it just grabbed me because it had all the faces of world leaders on the front. And I thought, wow, what is The Biggest Secret? And it's a, this real classic conspiracy book, I suppose, of like where reading the, the, back, of the, um, the back of it, um, Mr. Ike presents this entirely different view of the world, okay? And a part of me is like looking over my shoulder to check no sort of secret agents are looking at me reading this, right? I'm not going to be carted off. Um, and another part of me is thinking like, well, I don't, you know, obviously I don't believe this, but uh, I wonder if it's even possible to construct an alternative theory of history, you know? Like, can you do that? And does it hold up or does it fall flat? So I, I, bought, I bought the book and um, a lot of it was like so odd. I mean, just... To say a lot of it was far out would not be going anywhere near far enough. It's, his, it's the book where he broke the, the whole idea of shape-shifting reptilians to the world. Okay, But other parts of it I found very insightful. I found his, his commentary on a lot of societal structures. Like, hey, yeah, that, that speaks to what I'm experiencing. So um, I felt a certain confusion over that. And then, um, you know, really at the time I had pretty much just finished reading it, the planes went into the towers and I remember I was on a, a works course that day. And for us, it was, um, it was the middle of the afternoon when we saw it, okay? Um, and it was surreal, like, because we saw it on a kind of coffee break and nobody knew how to react. So we just went back into the, the room and continued learning about word processes, which seemed like a stupid thing to do. Because I just remember this overwhelming sense of, like, the world has changed, right, on some fundamental level. It's never going to be the same again, right? We're living in a, a new world now. And also a sense of like, I don't know what this event is, right? Like 
is it the event that the TV was then telling me it was over the next few days with um, Islamic terrorists? Or is it the event that I'm finding out about on the internet in this strange new world of conspiracy? And that was the, the rabbit hole I jumped down. Probably for a couple of years, right? But I have to say it didn't really get very far um, because it was overwhelming for me. I, I, say, I would say I lacked the intellectual tools to take on a question that big. And this was like in the, the 2001 internet where you just get articles. And, you know, um, I, I'd spend like maybe 20 minutes reading an article and then realize what I was reading was crazy or something, you know? And like, so I just, I was completely out of my depth, right? So I, I, I spent some time in that and then, and then took a step back. And um, it was really about 2009, 10 time that just as, you know, a series of strange coincidences of people were coming up and asking me, like, oh, you used to be into that 9-11. What do you think about that in the end? You know, were, were the towers bombed or was it all the or was it not? And I just, yeah, you know, I really, I really don't know of any of that stuff. I, I, I did think it was and I didn't and, and so on. And, and I felt pulled back into it. Um, I had a strange encounter with a woman in a bar who told me she'd been part of the MK Ultra program. I have no idea to this day whether she was or not. Um, but that events like that kept occurring. And, and I found myself shifting back in into what was this very, um, probably at the same place, really. although I'd, I'd done a course in philosophy at the time, I, I knew how to construct thoughts much more clearly. Um, but I, so I jumped in into the, the world of YouTube now and documentaries and so on. And after about a year of that, I felt like I just floundered around again. I hadn't really gone anywhere. And that's um, what, I, what I, I stopped looking at the day itself. Okay. And I hadn't been doing this like super intensely, but I stopped looking at the day itself um, and thought, okay, whatever's true about the day, it's got to arise out of an historical context. Okay. It, it can't be that everything in history is the way we're led to believe. And then Dick Cheney decided to blow up the Twin Towers. That doesn't make any sense, right? If there's anything in these claims, um, this is something that must have been going on for a long time. And I started to read the history of US foreign policy. And the one that really got me going was um, Operation Ajax, the, um, the CIA's coup in Iran in 1953. Um, and I actually, I heard about that on an Alex Jones documentary and went to check if it was true. And it was, to me, it was jaw dropping. I mean, it might sound very mundane to people, okay, in the audience, uh, because everyone knows this kind of thing happens. But um, to be confronted with like, there's no doubt about that. It's not a theory. It's not some conspiracy. Absolutely, the CIA overthrew the secular government of Mohammed Mossadegh in 1953 and put a, a monarch and a dictator in charge of Iran, which eventually led to the descent into the Islamist state it is today. Um, that, that, that happened, right? And it conflicted again with my, my childhood. I'd always like, through childhood in the 1980s, Iran, um, my contact with it was through like the Iron Sheik, the wrestler, who would always have some dastardly trick to defeat the good American wrestler, Hulk Hogan, right? And I didn't understand that geopolitics was playing out there. And this was all as a, as a result of the, um, the embassy hostage crisis and so on. But um, I, I just was overwhelmed by the hypocrisy of the way Iran was presented in the Western media then. And then to find that this is a common pattern. You can go back to like incidents like the Maine and the invasion of Cuba and the Philippines and, and forward through Guatemala and the, the Congo and on and on. Um, but, the, the 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 America is not the the leading nation of the free world it's presented as. It's really an imperial power. So this is a complete revision 
of my view of the world, which in some ways is much greater than saying, is a particular event an inside job or not, right? It's not the specific, but it's the general context in which we're looking at the world changes. And um, then I suppose, you know, what, what, what I noticed throughout this was that continuously you have um, imperial agendas which have no way of being carried out due to popular resistance, either foreign wars or domestic oppression, and then an incident happens and the media instantly has a narrative presented for that incident, which allows the war to take place. Okay, so whether it's um, the war with Spain that came about after the, the destruction of the, um, the USS Maine, or whether it's um, in some ways the Lusitania contributed uh, to shifting American opinion on the, on the First World War, uh, Pearl Harbor, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, and so on and so on. And without going as far as saying like, these were all inside jobs because the Lusitania wasn't. It's a more complex story. Um, I, I don't feel it was anyway. Uh, the main, who knows? Um, but right up to 9-11, um, it, it's always this very coincidental juxtaposition of these events, right? That either they're being capitalized on or they're being set up or whatever. And that was my interest in, in false flag terror and how it, um, uh, but not even to restrict it to false flag, how, how terror in general is the lifeblood of the state. It allows the expansionist imperial policies to take place and how human beings are goaded into violent actions they wouldn't commit otherwise through this. And that, um, you know, kind of brings me up to cut a long story short to my eventual meeting with you, Adam, and um, that for me facilitated the, um, the ability to go into these areas in much more depth and come to a greater understanding. And I'm really pleased to be embarking on this podcast to try and I suppose, make sense of the world and make sense of the violence humans perpetrate. Because I think even from being a little kid, that seemed like a ridiculous element of the world to me. There's something ridiculous about the, the nature of, um, of violence. And the, it seems to be like very unnecessary. Like I don't, I don't see the necessity of why Iraq is in tatters now. You know, that doesn't seem like that was an inevitable portion of human history. And that if it wasn't for this issue we have with violence the world would be in a much better state and with the the, the populace at large might be the addict of violence but the state is the the dealer the pusher if you like so it's it's my interest is in you know understanding that i suppose really what do you, what do you hope to get out of the podcast in the future what do you what do you see uh, beneficial about the podcast yeah i mean i think I'd root it in understanding, right? I think if you go out trying to change the world, you're going to wear yourself out because, you know, um, who's the Greek guy that pushes the border up the hill only to have it roll down again? You know, um, you're going to be that guy if you start trying to, to change the world. So I think, like, um, I, I don't have this great uh, ambition that way. Um, because I think that will either happen or it won't, right? And we can be very cynical about the world changing, but then sometimes the world does change, much for the better. So, but it's kind of beyond our control as individuals. So I would hope to gain a greater understanding. And I do think that we're at a point in history where we've just had this thing called the internet dumped upon our laps. In We, we see it as, oh, it's been around 20 years now. But when people look back on this in 400 years' time, we we are at the infancy stage of suddenly having access to this overwhelming amount of knowledge and i don't think we quite know what to do with that i don't think we we know how to understand that how to utilize that and we go down these rabbit holes that are misleading sometimes uh or worse still we end up like 
engaging in like entirely petty arguments about our um, point of view of like 9-11 was an inside job. No, it wasn't. It was this. No, it was a plane at the Pentagon. No, it didn't. It's who's on the plane. No, that's not relevant. It's all about the bombs. And, the, and uh, people gravitate to the kind of behavior, you know, we attribute to cavemen of like hitting each other over the head of sticks. Um, and they probably didn't. They were probably more civilized, right? But that's what we use the internet for. And that's sad and depressing. So I would like... Um, a, you know, a, a good, honest and open dialogue, really, uh, because I think that's what's missing a lot of the time with this. And then however that affects things, I'll just, you know, I'll leave that to, you know, the unknown outcome there. What about yourself, Adam? What do you see as being the, the role of it? I actually, I'm hoping to see this podcast as an educational forum for those who are just beginning. And for those who are actually learned about the subject itself, um, that they can use this platform to espouse more knowledge about uh, 9-11 in itself and the areas affiliated with it. Um, I'm also hoping to have a better, more, uh, if I dare could say it, enlightened public, quote-unquote, uh, an enlightened public more, um, because I feel that a lot of people, especially in the 9-11 spectrum, are just ignorant about how their country's government operates. And I find that to be troubling also for the future. And also the, the to find out about other people's uh, governments as well and how they uh, coexist with ours for uh, geopolitical reasons only and not for humanitarian reasons. Because I think... Um, especially with entities like the Central Intelligence Agency, um, they don't have the, the, the benefit of humanity in their, in their you know, primary uh, frontal cortex of their, of their heads. I think psychologically these uh, entities don't really care about humanity as a whole, but for humanity uh, to be used as like pawns in a chess game and that they're the chess masters moving us. I think, hopefully, well, I'm hoping that this podcast itself will educate the public about, for me, it's the most important event in human history because much like yourself and what you alleviated before, um, I feel that when 9-11 happened, the death of the world as we know it happened as well. Or as they say here in New York, um, the, the bravado of the innocence of New York uh, was ended that day. The figure that, you know, unite, because a lot of people think New York is this brash and a very confident city and uh, it was knocked down back to earth and it never regained since that day. Um, but I think the, the premise is far worse and that what came out of 9-11 um, was far worse than what happened on 9-11 itself and that it has a ripple effect toward the future and I think forever. Um, what I'm hoping also out of it is not to just to get an educated public, but to have a more motivated public to use the information that they, they learn from here and that they spread that information to other people. And that's, I think to me, that's the biggest reward of them all. Yeah. And I think for me, it's a sense that humanity has a capacity to miss the really obvious questions. Right. And I, it, cause it, to me, it's amazing that, I should even be embarking on this, right? Because I think 
you know, why would we? All, all the big questions are surely covered, right? Because there's like a billion dollar media industry, you know? So surely they've sat down with the CIA director for two, three hour interviews and it's been on all the channels and all the other people. And this stuff has been, been done to death, right? And yet we can pick out loads of people and, and think like, well, why did nobody ask that guy that question, right? And, and some of these people are amicable to coming on and, and talking about it. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me um, how we miss the obvious, right? How we really miss the obvious questions sometimes. Well, I, I think that's that. Well, I think that's the case, especially with the two congressional inquiries, the 9/11 Commission and the Joint House Inquiry. And Karen Bright, um, I'm going to butcher her last name, Bright uh, Brightweiser, um, one of the victims' families, mm. um, actually had a list of questions that they wanted to ask the 9/11 Commission, and that when the commission got the questions, only about I think 30% of the questions were actually addressed. And I think that's the case with both inquiries, that they um, had a lot of information at their disposal, which they did. They have millions of files they went through. But a lot of that information was either suppressed or redacted from public view or totally ignored altogether by the committee themselves, so whether it was pressure from Philip Zelikow or the State Department or the CIA and what have you. And also the interviewees of certain people that committed perjury. Someone like a Greg, a George Tenet, the director of the CIA, for example, in regards to uh, the cable regarding Khalid Al-Midar having a dual entry visa in the United States, in which he tells Tim Romer that nobody, oh, I'm sorry, not Tim Romer, Carl Levin of the Joint House Inquiry, where he states that nobody read that cable, but in reality, 53 agents within the Alex Station read that cable. And it, it, and that's just one area. There's multiple areas where people didn't address certain questions or they lied straight up. NORAD gave a false timeline to the 9-11 yeah. Commission, what have you. So, yes, so, there's a, there was a lot of questions that remained unanswered. Sure. So we have this really, like, solid stuff that you're addressing there. That's absolutely what we want to, you know, the core of the podcast to be. I think also we'll digress away from 9-11 because I think a lot can be learned from looking at other areas of what I might label state crimes against humanity or something and and seeing how you know whether it's um, events in the north of Ireland during the troubles or the Kennedy assassination or something that there have been movements uh, in all these areas to gain the truth over events where people don't feel the stage has exactly been forthcoming okay and I think there's um, a very productive exchange can be had there um, and I don't know if there's anything you want to say about that, but just to mention the other thing on my mind is um, you, you've gone through a list of what I would consider to be the really erudite, solid issues that you can take to the bank and with regard to, to 9-11. Um, you also have a massive conspiracy culture around 9-11, um, which at its more fringe elements goes into um, planes not hitting the Pentagon, uh, a missile doing it instead, uh, and then you get further along than that with uh, holographic planes hitting the twin towers and so on and and so on. And um, it's it's not always clear to me with nine eleven or any issue where the line is drawn between um, the the reasonable and the fantastical. Um, but this has been uh, a massive diversion of attention, let's say, where we could say that. Um, whether it's intentional or not, whatever the intention is, conspiracy theory has come to form a part of the cover-up of these events. 
right? Because and I think that's a statement everyone can get by, unless you're the guy that is at the complete extreme end of the spectrum where you think no one died on 9-11, even the towers themselves are holograms and we're all on a flat earth. Everyone who's more extreme than you is, is in a sense, aiding the cover-up with a fantastical narrative. And, um, you know, I think that's something we perhaps like to touch on, um, of how do we address this? How, how, do, how do you go about studying something that's uh, immensely complex when you're bombarded? Because you, it's, it's all right if you've been in it for a while, but you step into the, something like 9-11 Truth and you're bombarded with these million competing narratives and everyone's calling everyone else a shill and saying their one is the right one. It's like walking into some kind of bazaar where everyone's trying to you know, get you to buy their goods and telling you about the quality, how, how rubbish everyone else's is. And it's a very difficult landscape to step into. I think dealing with the area of conspiracy, uh, uh, this is the biggest setback for the 9-11 truth movement, obviously. And I think it comes twofold. And it, one, it comes from an area of ignorance regarding the areas I uh, outlined before, um, because they're so expansive, they're so broad, um, that people don't have the necessary time to read, whether they have jobs or families. They just don't have the necessary time to research and fact check what they read. So they'd rather watch a video or they'd rather watch um, an edited clip. And most of these videos and edited clips that come from a truther point of view or the fantastical point of view, I'll, I'll use that instead. From the fantastical point of view, um, doesn't really delve with factual information that you could check because it's all based on speculation. But it fits into their preconceived worldviews, like what I talked about earlier. And that's why I think that's another reason that is a detriment in the, um, both the debunker and truther uh, party system, so to speak. And that these worldviews um, give them a, a, a biased view of 9-11. It could be any, any event whatsoever. And so because of people in the fantastical realm that purport these uh, no planes or CGI, mini nukes in a basement, uh, Judy Woods directed anti-weapons. It also, it also gives them a sense of having information that only they have. So they feel important that they have this information, but it's information they can't realistically purport in a, in a conversation or a debate because they would have to go about proving these assertions. So they're left in this fantastical point of view and they become very combative or they become very shut down in conversation um, and very uh, abrasive too, because you're challenging their point of view, their narrative that they learn. Um, and they think this is as a weakness. Um, so that's just one area. And I think it's basically in multitudes is also because they purport these narratives, they're helping whether they realize it or not. They're the, the Central Intelligence Agency or the State Department sort of view that want no real inquiry into the 9-11 attacks. I mean, we saw that with the 9-11 Commission. They want to fund it right away, and they just want to ask a limited amount of questions and whatnot. So you already have these entities that don't want any real investigation. Sure. And sure. By, by, by these people purporting these fantastical narratives, whether it's uh, – on purpose, and I don't think it's a lot of it's on purpose. I think a lot of people are just misled and lied to. And but what they don't realize is that the very same entities that they despise, they're helping 
by purporting these fantastical names. Yeah, sure. I mean, the example that um, you give, I think, is a good one. If you, you know, if you don't think a plane hit the Pentagon, you're not likely to ask questions about the CIA's relationship with the hijackers on that plane. You know, right. um, but I think the this goes beyond just winning an argument, right? Because I think, like, I do think there's a lot of people um, in this, as there is in everything, who fundamentally enjoy arguing and the sense of intellectual superiority that comes with that, of winning in your own mind at least. And I think you need to go, we need to go beyond that into dialogue and into, you know, because, you know, sure, maybe there are people who are just out and out paid to present a certain narrative in in the movement. Um, But there's a lot of people, I think, like you say, who genuinely hold the beliefs they hold. Like overwhelmingly, I think that's that's the case. I've no evidence even in the first group exists. Um, so, you know, how how do you have a di- like, how do you have a dialogue with someone who who believes something that you really don't, and and you might even think is detrimental, um, without um, it turning into an argument, and where you can go somewhere productive and say, okay, well, these are the areas where we where we disagree, but we can you know still think that these areas are important. And that, that 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 I think is is really crucial. Something. It's important. Sure. I mean, yes. I, I, one thing I noticed that's missing after all these years of, I, I've been doing this for 13 years. And one thing I noticed is horrifying absent is that there's rarely, if any, reasonable dialogue regarding 9-11. There's no reasonable debates, reasonable conversation. Um, the, any, any type of, of, any type of decent, conversation regards just the physics but even then it's a banter of back and forth Mm. what have you and that's another reason why i like to do this podcast is that i want to use this forum to not just be an echo chamber which uh, you know i don't wish to be reporting a narrative because i I don't report any narrative but just the facts present them and whatever they lead me that leads to be i want this to be a, a, a forum where we can dialogue with people of the, the bunker and truther groups and then have a dialogue where it doesn't have a banter or back and forth or insult and insult that's the what have you why these people think this way what is the logical premise in which they hold and that's where i want to go with with this uh with this podcast as well yeah and you know i think it's been interesting for me doing the the interview series of you um because the the premise of that was that you know i've not done one tenth the research into this Adamson, and I'm probably exaggerating how much I have done there by by saying it's a tenth. Okay, um, it's nothing like a tenth. But um, so the premise of the interview series was that uh, I, as more of the layman, um, will ask Adam uh, the the questions, and if he explains it to a layman, maybe people out out there can get it too, right? So I, I did enough research to know what questions to ask, and I found that very psychologically liberating. Okay, because there's no pressure on me to be a big expert in geopolitics then. So I don't have um, an ego to defend in this fight, right? And that, that's great because, you know, you can just, it's, it's very freeing, right? And I think that's the angle um, you have to approach this kind of thing at. Because as soon as you start defining yourself as, oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm knowledgeable about this and that, it's such a complex and hidden area. You know, you're studying something that doesn't really want to be known. Okay, the CIA don't want you to know their secrets. And I think we simply don't know. Um, I, I, my sense is I don't know who's pulling the levers of power in this world, or even if anyone is pulling them. Maybe they're just like you, you break into the, 
the cabin of the, the, the train and there's no one at the driver's seat, you know, I, I don't know. Um, and I think, you know, you need to kind of approach this subject of that, that kind of humility, you know, and, um, because otherwise it becomes like, a, and we, we do see this, right, amongst yeah. people, like a war of egos quite a lot. So that's something I think we'd like to avoid here. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, look, I, the biggest, I guess the, the most learned thing I've ever come across with 9-11 was that just when you thought you knew something about 9-11, you ended up not knowing anything about 9-11. And I'm a student, and I never considered myself an expert. And other people, you know, like to say that, uh, you know, you're more learned than most. I don't think myself that way. Um, you know, I'm still reading books. I got, you know, five on my nightstand over here to my left. And that's how I'm going to be even from years from now, 20 years from now, if I, if I keep going. And um, I, what we what we need is to stop thinking of it as a context of uh, the ego itself driven and that the information in which you hold needs to be shared and echoed by the future of populations and the people that are listening and, and watching and reading. And what I, what I guess the main goal of this podcast is that I want people, if they listen to it, is to get the information they gain from here and that they themselves can become the teachers and the leaders and that they themselves can, can echo the information that they learned from. And, like I said, that's the biggest reward for me. Yeah. Um, so we probably should finish up just mentioning the title, right? Uh, the Dark and Hour, which was your, I did an article and your title was The Dark and I thought that was, that's great. I, um, really, as soon as you said that, yeah, that's the one we're having that. So what was the, what's the, what, where does that come from in your mind, The Dark and Hour? It comes from a bit of my own um, anomaly psychologically. Um, I'm a hopeless pessimist. I don't see much in the way of a beneficial future or profitable future. I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep repeating the same mistakes and the same errors in the past, which it holds back to the old uh, quote by George Santayana, those who are doomed, those who, who are uh, forget the past are doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a that's what we're going to see in the future. Um, but uh, the dark and dour came to me in that regard that when we talk about these subjects, there is no real light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, in regards to terrorism, the intelligence apparatus. It's all a detrimental and depressing subject. And I can tell you through the 13 years that I've been reading you know the areas I, that I study in I'd say 95% of the information I've read is basically a depressing issue and it, it really shaped my my frame of mind to the pessimist I am but not to say that you will become a pessimist yourself you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that light at the end of the tunnel is through the 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 people using the information to educate others and that hopefully that the you'll have an educated more enlightened public in regards to the dark spots of this country in this world and those dark spots are the intelligence agencies and governments um, of each respective country and that we need to shine a more more global light and realize that the hegemony of this world is going to come from not from them but from us the mm. people 
I mean, one of the things I like about doing this with you, Adam, is I think you make me feel like an optimist by comparison, right? Just like, I think people are coming, I'm, I'm sort of dour pessimist, but... Um, almost, know, like, almost like a yin and a yang. Well, right? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but a, a yin and a slightly less yin, maybe. Like, I, <laughs> so the, the, when you said the title, it spoke to me, it's like, yes, okay, it's an hour of going into darkness, because I think that darkness is the place we don't want to go, whether it's geopolitically or in our personal psyches, but darkness is also where, like, real progress is made. Um, I'm, okay, I'm going to murder a quote by Jung now. He said about enlightenment is not found by gravitating to the light, but by bringing our darkness into the light and exposing it. Um, and so it spoke to me on that level. And um, also on the sense of like the, the Florence and the Machine lyrics popped into my head of like the day is always darkest before the dawn. And the, the little art I found for this was, yeah, well, that, the dark, the darkened hour, the darkest hour is right before the dawn. Um, and finally, this sense of darkness um, also being mystery. And that's my, my overwhelming sense of, I think, most everything, but particularly the geopolitical arena, is that I have no certainty about it. Um, this whole journey started for me with recognition that I believed I knew what the world was, and then I found I didn't, and it was all a mystery. And whatever, in whatever I've learned since, it's never detracted from that sense of mystery that my starting point is I recognize I don't know how this world is working and how the pieces fit together and who's pulling the levers, if anyone, as I said. So that, that's the kind of the darkness of the mystery we can embrace and get away from our certainties and our pet theories about Zionists, Illuminati, international bankers, neocons, Muslims, insert here, you know, whatever it is. And, and to, to, that's the point we can all meet in that shared mystery, I think. So that, that's what it, how it spoke to me on various levels. Sure. It's almost like the, the, the book, The Inferno, where uh, Dante is led by Virgil, his guide. And the reason, the way he got out of hell is he entered darkness through the forest, the proverbial forest, and he comes out to the light through, through Satan, through Lucifer, by climbing up to him into the world, into heaven, through the light. And I think the only way we're going to correct the issues of the past and the present and to give a better future, more enlightened future, is we have to reach the darkest recesses of our minds and to the others and the agendas and nefarious uh, opportunists who have created uh, this world, this machine world, so to speak. And um, to have a better future is to have a more enlightened public. And how do you do that? By going to the darkest spots of mankind. And that's, what, that's why I came up with that. Uh, the title the darkened hour because we have to we have to talk about the subjects that are not comfortable to talk about to get any real progress in the future yes okay adam if you're happy i think we'll leave this inaugural yeah. episode there and we will be back soon with an interview so um we'd be delighted if people subscribe if they want to hear more from us and you know feel free to be in touch and send us your thoughts on on this and anything we do uh, we yeah i think the the art of this for us with the people we have on is getting like really the right questions so we're always open to to help with that in terms of if we we announce who we're having it's great to hear from people and what they thought and so on so sure thing and uh no i think that's about it and thank you for listening thank you for listening and we'll see you soon